much. How thankful are you this morning that we have some amazingly talented people that help lead us to worship in song this morning. We're thankful for our praise team. We're thankful for those that do special music this morning. God has certainly blessed us as a family. Well, I'm so glad that you're here this morning as I am every Sunday. Uh, We are back in Malachi this morning. We are in uh, Sermon 4 of a seven-series or a seven-sermon series. Um, so hopefully by now you have learned how to find that little book that ends the Old Testament. We specifically are in chapter 2, verse 17, and we will be going through chapter 3, verse 5 this morning. As you're turning there, as you're finding Malachi this morning, though, I want to talk about two things real quick from last week. Last week we uh, addressed the issue of divorce, as Malachi does in his word. And, and I want to say just two quick things on that. One Uh, I want to say how thankful I am to the many of you who came up to me later, um, either that day or during the week, and just expressed expressed your heart um, about that sermon um, and talked to me and shared maybe some of your experiences with that topic um, and and the amazing amount of encouragement that I got from that. Um, You have no idea what that means to me. You have no idea what that means to Melissa. Um, And we are so thankful that we are in this church um, and part of this amazing church family um and and i hope that you know too that that that's all god like i get up here every week and i just pray that he puts the right words in my mouth um through study and through other things and um, he has done some amazing things the other thing i want to be sure that uh that i speak to and that i address this morning is you know we we have to because of the nature of the word of god we have to address difficult topics uh, and I am so thankful that the Word of God does not stay, stay silent on those topics, that he, the Word of God addresses them, that he gives clarity to those issues, that he helps us to see what his heart is about those issues and how we should handle those things. Um, but I also know that um, in my own experience, um, I, I've seen pastors and I've seen uh, men of God who, who have best intentions, but they handle those issues very callously. Um, and so in my own preaching, I tend to maybe wander a little bit too far to the grave side. But I never want that to be interpreted. I hope that you never interpret that as me apologizing for the word of God because that's not what we need to do. That's not what we want to do. That's not what I want to communicate to you because the word of God is the very most precious thing that God has given us, short maybe only of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. It is how he transforms us. It is how he remakes us. It is how we are to live our lives by the very words of God himself. And so I hope that I never give that impression to you um, ever. Um, and, and again, I, I'm thankful for the encouragement, but I wanted to make sure uh, to address those two things this morning. All right. Um, again, uh, I hope that you have been able to find, find Malachi. I'm excited about what God has for us this morning through his word. Um, so if you would stand this morning, um, we are going to read God's word. We're going to honor God's word as we read it this morning. Chapter 2, starting in verse 17. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit like as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. 
and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and will, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so incredibly thankful for your word. Lord, and I'm thankful this morning for the book of Malachi, Lord, that you promise us that you are returning, that you promise us that you will bring with you judgment, that you will be found to be righteous. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you act that out in our lives every single day. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help change our focus from just a short-sighted, temporary focus on our lives today to an eternal one that allows us to understand better who you are and what you desire for us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would use your word to transform our hearts, that you would use your word to change us so we will not go out the same way we came. Lord, I pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. God starts off, God speaks through Malachi, starting off this passage in much the same way that he started off all of the passages of Malachi that we've looked at so far, by giving a declaration and then following up that with a question. God declares at the beginning of verse 17 that you have wearied me, he tells the people of Israel. And for me, when I think about the term wearied, when I think about um, what that means, it, it means to grow tired out of effort. It means to, to continually put forth energy and, and not maybe see a result, and so you grow weary out of that. But for me, the best picture was to think about my own parents. Now, I know that this is going to shock you, but I was maybe the most wearisome child of the two of us. Lisa did her best. But when mom and dad talk about our teenage years especially, like, they still sigh when they talk about me as a teenager. Like, it's like, like people come up to me like, how was Brian as a teenager? And my mom goes, <sighs> like, I wearied her, okay? I questioned her authority in my life. I questioned um, the things that uh, she would tell me, whether they were right or wrong. I, I just never would take her word at face value. Um, and just trust her even though she wanted what was best for me I was constantly pushing the boundaries of curfew and what that meant um, to the point that uh, I'll share this story briefly but to the point of shutting off the car and rolling it down the hill of our driveway only to find out that you have to say the name of our dog before you enter the room or he will bite you um, I, I was constantly testing the boundaries of my my parents authority even though they wanted what was best for us and in doing so i wearied them in doing so i test their patience they still loved me they still wanted what was best for me they still provided a roof over my head they still provided food for me they still cared for me but it did not change the fact that there were times that my mom and dad would go oh and for some of you who are on the other side of this, for some of you that have been parents, you know what that audible sound sounds like because you have made it towards your kids. 
It does not change the fact that you love them. It does not change the fact that you care for them. It does not change the fact that you want what's best for them. But you watch them and you have instructed them in a way to go and they repeatedly go the other direction. And at some point you're just like, okay. And that is the uh, emotion that God is connecting with at this moment. Now, his isn't exactly like ours. His ways are higher than our ways, and he's different in all sorts of ways than us. But that is the emotion that he's connecting with this moment. As he looks at the people of Israel during the time of Malachi, he has instructed them, he has disciplined them to go in one way, and yet they continually have gone and done something different than that. And he looks at them and says, you weary me. You weary me. And then the people of Israel like a good teenager, turn around and they say, how have we wearied you? How have we done that? Like, my mom and dad would be like, oh, Brian, like, you're killing us. And I'm like, how am I killing you? Like, never mind the fact that I came in three hours past curfew last night for like the 14th time. Like, how have I wearied you? So I I eat more food out of the fridge than you could ever possibly buy at a grocery store. But how have I wearied you? I don't understand. And that's what the people of Israel turn around and do. They turn around and they say, how have I wearied you? How have we, how have we made you tired, God? How have we exas- uh, exhausted you? And in doing so, they, they put on full display a denial of wrongdoing. They put on full display that they have no relationship with God, that they don't have a desire to connect with his heart. They put on full display that they are just checking off boxes when it comes to religion, and they have no interest in a relationship. And we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. We're confronted by the word of God, and so we turn around and we say, how have I done that? And we try to justify it in all kinds of ways. And in doing so, we betray in ourselves not a desire for a relationship, not a desire for the holiness of God, but rather we betray that in ourselves, in our flesh, is a desire just to get by, just to check off boxes. We don't want to be better. We don't want to pursue him. And so they ask him, how have we wearied you? And so God answers them. God looks there at the second part of verse 17, and he says, they ask the question, and then he responds, by, and he says, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is this God of justice? He says, by asking these questions, you have called in to question my character. You have called in to question my justice. You have called in to question my righteousness. Just as in chapter 1, the people of Israel had called in to question the love of God by saying, how have you loved us? And then he, he answers in that. So here, they have called in to question who he is as a just God, as a righteous God, as a holy God. And you know, the thing is, is that this question is not a new question for the people of Israel. It's not a new question for the people before them. We see in Genesis this same question asked about why do the good suffer and the evil prosper? We see it in the Psalms. We see it in Ecclesiastes. It's not a new question. And the thing is, it's not an old question either. It continues to come around. Jesus responds to it at one point. 
And even today, we ask the question, as we look in the world around us, some of us are prone to ask the question, why is I a believer? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through difficult things? Why is life so hard for me when yet I see this unbeliever who lives across the street and they've got a new boat and they've got a new car, they've got kids that seem to obey them, life just seems to go so swimmingly for them, and yet for me, it just seems to be difficult. Why is this so? Where is the God of justice? Why does he show them favor? And yet for me, it seems like I just keep going through the same old things. I keep going through the same old hardships. Or new ones constantly are springing up. And in asking that question, the, both the people of Israel and ourselves, we betray, we, we identify in ourselves short-sightedness. We reveal in ourselves that we only care about, we only look at today. We only look at life in this moment. And so we focus on the 30, 40, 50, 60, maybe even 100 years that we get in this life, and we think that God should bless us now immediately. Or we look at only that, and we say, wow, why are the evil, why do they prosper? Man, they just had this wonderful life. And we, we just, we ponder at this. But then God, God wants to remind us this morning that we have to not look at just this limited, limited scope of things, but rather we have our focus on eternity. We have our focus on all of history, that he himself looks over the vast expanse of time from which he began before there was and he will be forevermore. And he says, that is the picture that I look with. That is the form of justice that I look at, not just in this immediate moment. Second Peter 3.9 tells us, there in that letter it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should find repentance. God says, you have got to stop looking at just this segment of life and just focusing on this little tidbit. You have got to step back as a son, as a daughter of God, and see the big picture. You've got to see the big picture. Because what I see is that in this limited life, I am attempting and I am trying and I will make you into the image of Christ so that you are ready to step into an eternity with me. In the same way, I am giving every opportunity to the unbeliever. I am giving every chance. I am giving every word that I can for them to see that I am God and that they desperately need repentance before they step into an eternity of suffering, before they step into an eternity apart from me forever. We betray, the Israelites betrayed their short-sightedness. They revealed that they had blinders on when it came to the justice of God by asking him, why do they, are they blessed and why do we suffer? Because they weren't taking a big picture of eternity and past. And so in response to that, God says, I am coming. There in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
a couple of important things that we need to realize about this chapter before we move to the next slide. A couple of things that we need to, to know about this verse. One, we need to identify that the messenger that comes before is different from the messenger of the covenant. It's real easy to get those confused. But the messenger of the covenant is defined as the Lord himself. Okay? Malachi goes to, goes to effort to say that this is the Lord, this is the one who you've been seeking, and he is coming to your temple. But then he also identifies, and this is unique to Malachi, he identifies that there will be a messenger that goes before, and this is going to be fulfilled in John the Baptist later in the New Testament. Okay, This is unique to Malachi. Malachi prophesies this, and then it comes to, to fruition in the, in the person of John the Baptist. And he's going to expound upon that later as we get towards the end of the book. But he also says that he himself is going to come, that the messenger of the covenant is going to come. He calls him the Lord in whom you delight in. And it's kind of interesting. I don't know about you, but I read that for the first time, and I went, wait a minute. Throughout this whole thing, we've been talking about how the Israelites of Malachi's time had a horrible relationship, that they were just checking off boxes when it came to the Lord. Why all of a sudden does he say that it's the one whom they delight in, it's the one in whom they, they have followed? The reason he says that is because he is kind of mocking them. There is sarcasm, there is irony in that. Because for, for the people of Malachi, they had this vision of the Messiah. Okay? And the people of Jesus' time had some of the same problems as this. But they had this vision of the Messiah that had been promised, this one that would come in power. And their idea was is that the Lord would return and the, the kingship of David would be restored, that they would once again become a powerful, influential nation around the, of those around them. Once again, the streets would be full of gold and silver as they had in the times of Solomon. Once again, that they would be kind of the lighthouse on the hill for everyone around them. That was their vision. They wanted power. They wanted freedom. They wanted wealth. And they wanted it now. And they believed that when the Lord came back, that when the Lord, the Messiah visited, that that's what would happen. And so they had this great distorted view of what God was going to come to do. So he tells them, I'm coming. I'm coming. You want me to come? You are searching for me. You are looking for me. You are asking for me. Then I am going to come. But then... But then we have verse 2. Verse 2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Which leads me to this next question. And it's the same question that God was really posing towards the people of Israel. Do we really want righteousness? Do we really want justice we desire for the coming of the lord the israelites wanted this messiah figure to come they wanted the world to be made right in their eyes but they wanted it done on their terms they wanted it done in the way that they imagined it should be done and god said but god says who can stand because the reality is that when God comes in all of his righteousness and in all of his holiness, when God sits on that throne of judgment, that there will be some realities, and even in this life there are some realities that we don't often think about. For one, God in his righteousness, God in his holiness, when he intervenes in our life, it means that there may be painful correction for the believer means that there may be painful correction for the believer. 
verses 2 through 3, he speaks very clear there. He is speaking to the priests. He is speaking to believers there. As he says that they, he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, that he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, that he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. We understand these pictures for the most part. We understand that when you mine gold or when you mine silver, that when it's in its ore, when it's in its raw form, that there are impurities, that there is dirt and there is grime, and that in order to have that which is pure, in order to have that which we value, it must go through an intense heating process where all of that grime, all of that dirt is wiped away. In the same way, we have, when you have dirty clothes, they would take these clothes and he calls it the fuller soap and it was a it was a strong lye okay this is stuff not to be handled lightly but they would take that lye soap and they would scrub these clothes hard and it was even hard and corrosive on the clothes and then they would take those clothes and they would beat them on a rock and then they would hang them in order to get rid of the grime and the dirt that had built up on them and god says that it's going to be like that for my priests it's going to be like that for us as believers that in our lives, our sin and corruption in our lives are as dirt and grime that keeps us from running the race that God has set before us. God desires us to run hard. God desires us to run well. And yet we have all this stuff on us. And he says, in order for you to run the way that I desire, in order for you to run freely, in order for you to live a life of abundance, I've got to cut away, I've got to purge all of that which is in you. Because I love you. Because I love you. And so we have temporary pain for life. We go through temporary suffering. We go through temporary discipline so that we may experience blessing. But some of you may stand here before me and you may say, Brian, now, whoa, 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 like I have a pretty good life. I'm happy with the way things are going. Like I enjoy the way things are now. I've got a great family. I've got great kids. My job is solid. There are things going on like everyone's healthy. I, I, don't, I don't really want pain. I really don't want to go through any correction. I really don't want to go through any suffering right now. Things are good. And for some of you, you may even be saying, I want the pain to stop. I want the suffering to stop. Why, why am I experiencing this? And understand this morning that this is, this is kind of an academic approach, but it's the truth that we need to hear this morning. It's just like a parent with a child. That parent disciplines that child, and there is temporary pain so that child may grow up to be the adult, to be the mature adult that they need to be, so that that child may experience life in a way that is good. Or maybe we need to put it like this. Maybe a doctor comes to you and says, my friend, you're, you're a young man or a young woman, comes to you and says, hey, there's this disease in your body that is ravaging you. It is destroying you. And we can go in and we can do a procedure and it's going to be painful. There's, it's not going to be a pleasant surgery. But I promise we can get it all. I promise we can get it all. And there may be a couple of months of rehab and you may need to, to work through some things. But we're going to be able to get this disease and then you're going to be able to live life for decades on. And it's going to be a, a life that you're going to enjoy and do all that. And there's a second option, though, because some people really don't like pain, and I understand that. So we can choose to ignore that disease this morning. If you don't want to go through the surgery, if you don't want to go through the rehab, then I understand that. But 
understand that this disease is going to kill you within months. So you can either go through the temporary pain of surgery, go through the temporary pain of the rehab, and have decades upon decades of a glorious life, or you can ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist, and in about six months, you're not going to be here with us anymore. You're not going to experience pain, but it's going to be a short one. Now magnify that times a bajillion. And that is where we stand this morning. We stand before a holy God who comes to us and says, Oh, daughter, oh, son, you have sin in your life, and it is destroying you, and it's destroying your family, and maybe you don't even see it, but trust me, it's there, and we need to get rid of it. And it may be a painful situation. It may take a little bit of discipline. It may take a little bit of suffering on your part. But trust me that if we can remove this, that you're going to have a blessed life, that it's going to be an incredible freedom that you're going to experience when you get rid of it. And it's going to prepare you for an eternity with me. Or you can choose to ignore me, and it's going to wreck everything. question this morning is, are we really ready for righteousness? Are we really ready for righteousness? Because if we are, we will say, bring it on. And we will desire as children of God to remove that sin, that same sin that is responsible for putting our Savior on the cross. We will want it gone. We will want it removed. If you don't desire that this morning, then there are other questions we need to ask. But as a believer this morning, if you recognize sin in your life, if God approaches you with sin in this morning, then we should desire to have whatever it takes to get it removed. God sits in his justice, and when God comes in his righteousness, it does mean sometimes painful correction for believers, but it also means eternal judgment for the unbeliever. Look there at verse 5 with me. He says, then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against your sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, against those, and this is, he's continuing on, oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and against those who do not fear me. God says, for the unbeliever, and these are the marks, you go through, the New Testament, you're going to see something very similar in James as he describes true faith and, and those who do not have true faith. And God says very clearly that for those that work against me, for those that are unbelievers, in that moment of judgment, I will come very swiftly, and I myself will be the witness against you. I will myself will be the one that says, you have done such and such and such and such against the holy God. And the punishment for that is eternal judgment. Which brings us back to this question about why do the evil suffer? Or why do the evil bless? And why do the good suffer? And my question is, why would we ever, why would we ever be jealous of an unbeliever? Why would we ever, ever hold it against them that they are receiving blessing here? Because this is the only blessing they're ever going to get. I have in store for me an eternity. If you are a son and daughter of Christ, you have in store for you an eternity with Jesus Christ in a place of no more suffering, of no more fear, of no more tears. We have that before us. But for the unbeliever this morning, they don't have that promise. They don't have that hope. And so how 
how can we ever begrudgingly be, be grudging towards them for having maybe 30 years of blessing? What is 30 years of blessing versus an eternity We have short-sightedness. We have blinders on as we ask why does God bless here and why he corrects us here because we're not thinking about eternity. They experience temporary peace that leads to death. We need to warn them of this. All right. So where does that bring us? Where does that put us in the here and now, so to speak? We see Israel, Israel call into question God's justice. We see God respond by saying, I'm coming and this is what it's going to look like. We see how that means that there may be temporary suffering for those of us that are believers as God disciplines us, as God forms us into the image of Christ to prepare us for an eternity with him. We see how it means for, that he has eternal judgment on those that are unbelievers. What, what, does that, what does that do for us here now? How do we respond to that? Well, first, I think we need to ask the question whether we ourselves have called God's character into question. Have we ourselves been ones that have questioned whether God is right in what he is doing? Have we questioned whether God is holy? Have we questioned whether he is just? And if that is the case, then this morning we need repentance. This morning we need forgiveness from a holy God who we have dared to question, that we have dared to call in on the judgment seat say why are you doing this i was speaking with someone this morning about the book of job and job asked these questions like defend yourself like why have you done this to me and god eventually answers him and says because i'm god and job goes okay i'm gonna go sit down over there let me cover my mouth so too have we at times called into question his plan and we need to repent of that and say i'm not god you're god and i can't second thing is do we see sin the way that god sees sin do you understand what sin has done to creation do you understand what it has done to yourself do you understand what it's done to your family do you understand that he died for it and that he suffered for it do you understand that god desires to remove it because he wants what's best for you or do you say ah, it's not hurting anything i'm fine do you see the seriousness of it this morning do you desire to be made more in his image and if you don't Lastly, last question. Are we ready for final judgment? And this has two sides to it. One, are we ready for final judgment and that we have we ourselves have we ourselves come to the point where we've asked God to forgive us of our sins and made him Lord of our life? Are we sure of that? And this morning I, I hope and I pray that you are. I hope that you have come to that point and you have no doubt that Christ has you in his hand. And he, his hand is in the Father's hand. And there's no way that's ever being undone. That you have that assurance of that hope. Are you ready in the sense that you are pursuing God with everything you are? That when he comes back that he will find you doing the work that he has set before you. But not only that, are we ready in the sense that we are actively warning others? We have brothers and sisters. We have fathers and mothers. We have cousins, uncles, aunts. We have best friends who don't know Christ. Are we ready for the Lord to return and for them to enter into something undescribable? Are we 
we've read in Victor. We need to ask that question. We need to ask all these questions. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response this morning. I don't know what God's laying on your heart this morning. Maybe that you have questioned God, and you have questioned His holiness, and you have questioned His righteousness, and you just need to say like Job, God, I'm sorry, let me cover my mouth right now. Because you are a holy God, you are a just God, you have proven your love for me over and over again. God, please forgive me. Please help me to have faith in you and to trust the plan that you are putting in place. Because I know it's what's best for me. Give me the strength to get through it. Give me the strength to get through this suffering. Give me the strength to get through whatever I'm going through. Maybe this morning you are dealing with a specific sin and, and God's hammering away saying, you've got to get rid of this. It's destroying you. It's holding you back. Then this morning, will you ask for forgiveness? Will you repent and turn away from it? Maybe this morning you know that you're not ready. You haven't either given your life to Christ yourself or you have not, you have not sounded the trumpet for others. Then this morning, will you make that commitment today? Will you make that commitment to him? Let me pray for us and then we have a time. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, I thank you so much that, Lord, that you are a God who is active in our lives, that you are a God who doesn't just look at his people and say, oh, you weary me, I'm done with you. Rather, you look at your people, you look at us, your sons and daughters, and you say, I love you, and I'm, I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you the way that you are. But rather, I'm going to come and I'm going to discipline if that's what it takes. I'm going to love you through it all, the whole thing. And it may seem rough at the time, but trust me, my child, I want you to be better. I want you to have this life that I've created you for. I want you to run the race well, not burned down by all this stuff. Lord, I thank you that we can come to you this morning. And Lord, it's just as simple as saying, God, I need you. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I need your grace. And you separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. And you say, okay, let's try again. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be real with ourselves. Lord, that we would not try to pretend like all is well, that we have reached the goal. But rather we would be honest with ourselves and honest with you about where you are leading us and what you would have us to do. Lord, help us to respond this morning. Pray this in your holy name.